In this episode of Serb Podcast, we have Khatija Bakhtiar, CEO and founder of Teach for Pakistan joining us. She will be sharing her insights on Teach for Pakistan's experience with the pandemic so far and the upcoming challenges around educational inequity, remote digital learning and digital spaces. Hi Khatija, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Serb Podcast. Thank you Gada, thank you for inviting me. So Khatija, to start off, how do you think educational inequity can be addressed during the recovery phase of the pandemic as schools begin to reopen in Pakistan? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Gada, and, and certainly the question of the day. I think there's a number of steps that are involved. Um, it starts first and foremost at the question of assessing, given the amount of learning time that kids have lost, uh, what are the learning gaps that they are returning to school with? So I think the first thing that's needed is going to be a careful and comprehensive diagnostic testing process that allows us to understand really where our kids at so that all teaching and learning can then be adjusted accordingly to start at that level. That feels incredibly important also because I think that if we teach at the wrong level, we also have a greater chance of, um, of increasing, potentially increasing dropouts for kids who are going to be coming back to, back to school after a large gap. And then of course, the other risk is that, you know, kids are going to be, you know, we, if, if we're teaching at a level where they're not at, which is um, a higher level than where, where they're actually at, or teaching in a way that doesn't take into account what gaps they may be experiencing right now in their knowledge and skills, then, they, then they, they continue to take those gaps with them, um, you know, year on year into the next grade levels and, and just accumulate. The second thing I think is going to have to be um, really uh, a real, really clear recognition on the part of educators, particularly, and then of course other school, school, um, uh, school and community level stakeholders as well, that in-person teaching time has been reduced. And what does that mean? What are the implications of that? So one implication that stood out for us um, as we were trying to map our own intervention at Teach for Pakistan was that distance learning then, something that we were doing even in the, in the school closure phase when COVID was, was at its peak and lots of other educators were, were also doing, but distance learning is now going to be a critical component of the schooling experience. It's not just a good to have, it is a must have. Um, kids are going to be coming to school on alternate days. The school hours have been limited. So in-person instructional time is necessarily going to be shorter. And therefore, we have to, educators have to have ways um, to do non-in-person teaching as well, uh, teaching and learning as well, and ensure that kids are making the most use of the time while they are at home on the days that they're not going to be in school. And, and then I think the third one that's, that feels critically important is that teaching and learning now has to be informed by the kind of experience that kids have had in the last eight months. So I think it's going to be very, very important for teachers to really understand um, what have children been through, because this time has been a real disruption in their lives, right? It's massive in, in disruption to their routines. Um, and so it's very important for them to be able to, for, for the students who are now coming back to be able to acknowledge, uh, to, to be able to feel acknowledged um, for what they felt, uh, for, for what they've gone through to be able to reflect, uh, to be able to process their emotions 
and so in many ways right many many of these kids may have experienced violence at home um and and even if that has not has not taken place the established routines where they where they went to school they met their friends um they met you know teachers they interacted in ways that that were familiar to them that they were comfortable with those were completely brought to a halt and so it's very important for now educators to make sure that their teaching and learning practices um are are responsive right to that experience and i think they, these are the ways right because when when we when we talk about really being able to address educational inequity really what it comes down to these things that that i've identified for you really comes us thinking very deeply about what do kids um in low income communities need from us right now given that they've been out of school for the last 8 months and given that they have not had access to the kind of remote teaching and learning support that many kids in more privileged households may have had they have also not had the kind of supports um at home necessarily or the kind of safety nets um that are going to take care of their health uh, that 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 students who come from privilege um have had and so i think if we if we sit with that question um then the answers that emerge from that are really going to help us tailor our approach in the in our recovery phase right and how would you say that teach for pakistan has tailored its approach so far how has it adapted during this rapidly evolving covid situation so far and what would you say are the steps that are now being taken to minimize learning gaps and prepare for the recovery phase of the pandemic so at teach for pakistan what we've been as we've been thinking about how do we prepare for the for the recovery phase how do we prepare um our our fellows who are teaching in schools for the recovery phase really we've, we've taken into account three big principles right the first i was already mentioning earlier is deep understanding and acceptance that the amount of in person time that they have with their students um has radically decreased the second key principle is that learning necessarily has to be holistic it must include academic and non academic components in equal measure particularly because we're trying to take into account um, the mental and emotional challenges that that students may now be um bringing with them into the learning spaces um and also because a lot of learning is not happening just at school now but also in their home by home environments and therefore all teaching and learning activities must be responsive and be able to really make the best use of that at home environment and that context and then the third principle that we are operating with is that being able to keep students safe and learning is now a shared responsibility it's a collective responsibility and i'll go into um, in a second what that means for us right so um based on these three principles some of the the initiatives that we've taken is that you know we've we've un- we've undergone um a, like about a month ago a 10 day long virtual training with all of our 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 fellows in order to be able to unpack what these principles mean in our context and strategize um really plan for what we are going to do if we are to live into these principles in this recovery phase now and so one of the important things that's come out of this is 
the how how are we going to diagnose learning losses and where are kids at right now so for this what we're doing is that the same assessments that the teachers had designed and administered it back in march right before schools closed the same um, um, those same tests are going to now be administered again to try and understand how you know where are kids now and then that's going to help us the results from that are going to help the the teachers choose what is the most critical content to focus on for the remainder of the school year the the other implication of this is that we're going to be using um, remote and distance learning techniques to strengthen the foundations of literacy and numeracy that our fear is will have been weakened during this time by that what i mean is of a number of different mediums including um, holistically designed learning packs that students can work with over the course of um, you know uh, not just their uh, not just their in school time but also at home um, whatsapp uh, sms being being the teacher being available over the phone on a on a non school day when the child is not in school to be able to answer any questions um, the other thing that we are that we are doing is really putting in place specific routines for in school time and for at home time that target social and emotional learning and by this i mean you know teachers are are currently making for instance class songs that are going to be about how do we keep our ourselves safe and how do we continue learning how do we um they are they're creating activities that promote reflection for students at home they're creating activities that um that are going to help students engage with their parents in meaningful ways because they're so so that they don't feel the loss of a learning community as much as they would otherwise um i think the most exciting thing that that we've really taken to taken into account that i'm that i'm really um, hopeful about and want to see it being implemented in action i'm really looking forward to that is the idea that we must now give our students the opportunity to have agency in how they are responding during this time because the one thing that we are hearing constantly when we're listening to kids and as they share their experience of of the past few months of of corona is that they feel helpless they feel like they they everything is out of control and that feeling is paralyzing and so you know doing little things like giving them a control back by giving them a role in protecting themselves um and their their peers and their teachers their community so for instance assigning a corona warriors title right to to kids who are helping the school community follow sops um so those i think are the little ways in which we are we're trying to really support students now um i think the other thing that's felt really really important is that uh, is this understanding that the role of other stakeholders has become critical so you know what is the role of of fellows as teachers is really to be able to not just provide all of the support to kids themselves but to be able to facilitate an entire ecosystem of support which means that they have to work much more closely with a parents who are going to be the ones who provide the oversight to students at home and with other school teachers and with the school principals so that all of what what fellows are doing in um in their classrooms with their students is reinforced throughout the school and not just by um by some teachers while while it's not happening with other teachers so i think this is really going to be the thing that um that pulls a lot of these these strategies that we're thinking about together so that brings everybody who's in this child's ecosystem on the same page so 
in terms of creating this ecosystem of support for students, um, you mentioned the need for a unified vision and the importance of different stakeholders, including educators and the government to be on the same page. Do you think then that there is a need to refocus and reprioritize the current education policy? And if so, uh, what changes would you say are required to realign towards those long-term learning goals? Yeah, I think there's, there's two things within that, Gada, that feel quite important to me. The first one is, you know, we have to look at whatever we do in this recovery phase, um, you know, in a, in a world that is almost a post-COVID world, well, fingers crossed, is not piecemeal efforts that are short-term in their orientation, but really, as you were saying, linked to a longer-term vision and goals for where we want students to be over the next two years, five years. Because the impact of COVID is not going to, we're not going, the recovery phase is not going to last just six months because it's not going to take us only six months to be able to really well recover from the crisis, but also be able to take on some of the real gaps that this crisis has exposed and be able to work towards solving for those. Mm. I think this, this year also gives us a really good opportunity and a much needed opportunity to think about the difference between a policy that helps students progress through the grades and a policy that actually helps students learn as they progress through the grades, right? It is somewhat um, startling to me when I think about how much conversation we're having right now about learning gaps. And somehow, even though we've been seeing this, the statistics year on year, the same kind of learning gaps when they existed in a pre-COVID world, you know, a kid is sitting in class five and has not even mastered a grade two content, were just not alarming for us anymore. So I think this year is really a reorientation to think about what is it going to take um, for us to make sure that as, as kids are being promoted through one grade or another, they're actually mastering the kind of knowledge and skills that they were supposed to have learned by the end of that school year. Um, and I think to be able to do this, the, our, our education policy has to do something that I think has been absent from a lot of education policies in the past, which is it needs a very clear focus on the question of how are we going to invest in the human capital that drives our education systems, right? Because all of the examples that I was sharing with you about the work that Teach for Pakistan fellows are doing now in the, in the post-corona, sorry, in the, in, the, in the recovery phase to, to COVID-19, but also the work that they've done in the last eight to 10 months, and not just them, right? Other educators who work with low-income um, students who have really created proof points of what is possible to achieve, even in a time like this, even with our constraints, all of those teachers, the one thing that they have in common is that they're displaying leadership. And what do I mean when I say that, right? It means a number of things, I think. One is it means taking full ownership over, over these students who are in your charge as a teacher. Right. And based on that idea of taking full ownership, being able to think about what do my students need, what are their circumstances, and then how am I going to strategize to, to be able to support them in this time, right? And that is work that has to happen on a very, very localized level. A teacher whose classroom has 20% of students with WhatsApp-enabled smartphones versus a teacher whose classroom has 80% of students with WhatsApp-enabled classrooms, their teaching and learning practices 
in the in the corona phase and in this now school reopening phase are going to look very different from each other and but but those teachers have to be able to own the project of being able to design their own teaching and learning interventions based on those very very localized needs and then be able to take the responsibility for for gathering all of these mobilizing all of these other stakeholders in pursuit of of the vision that they all ideally share for this group of kids that they're working with right and so given that all of this has to happen at so many different levels we're talking about the school level we're talking about the the, the district level we're talking about of course the the provincial ministerial levels um i think that there is a clear gap that has been exposed by covid which is we we lack the kind of leadership across the system that really will help us cope not just with the challenge that a crisis like covid presents but the challenge of education reform in pakistan full stop so all of that is to say i think education policy from here on needs to really be able to take on that question of how will we develop um and nurture that leadership across our system as a very very serious area of focus